0: Welcome to Truth Jihad Audio Video. Kevin Barrett here interviewing the most interesting folks with the most important information that doesn't ever make it into the mainstream. We are coming up on the 30th anniversary, can it be already, of the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. It was February 26th, to be exact. And my guest, uh, Karen Brothers, has written on this topic for global research and will be writing more and she has very important information to share. So let's hear about it. Welcome, Kieran Brothers. How are you?
1: Oh, thank you, Kevin. Um, I can't see my face on this. I think there's something up. Um, I was fascinated by, I was shocked by the event in New York City on, on the date. And when they found, when they identified the, um, the, the Palestinian suspects. I, I smelled a rat because it was in the middle of the peace talks. Um, when I watched the events of 9-11 live in 2001, I assumed that there would be no more interest in the story of what happened in 1993. I kept expecting books to come out that explained what the truth was. And they just didn't, I didn't see anything. Um, but when I realized people were blaming Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman or Osama bin Laden for the 93 bombing, I realized the real story had to be told. It was only after 9-11 that the decades-long plot behind both the bombing in 93 and 9-11 um, became evident uh, with the role that the 93 bombing had played in in the war on terror um, the key to understanding, I think, the motives for the 93 bombing and 9-11 is the background history, which is basically the 1989, the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, and, and the looting of the public assets, unfortunately, with mysterious Western investors scooping up energy assets. Um, the big thing for the U.S. was the U.S. military needed a fast replacement for a new official enemy. They were very worried that a peace dividend might send the money to um, health education and welfare. Um, So those were the big issues then. Of course, in 1991, there was also Desert Storm, um, which led President George H.W. Bush to issue the Madrid peace talk plan that would ensure Israel's ultimate survival um, to end his 25-year occupation of Palestinian territories. All these things sound desperate, but they all come together with with these um with the with the with the 90 with the World Trade Center events. So the peace talks which were meant to sorry, which were meant to end early uh and quickly and enable a second term for George W. Bush were still ongoing at the time of the World Trade explosion. So the massive bomb exploded under the Vista Hotel in World Trade Center at noon, Friday, the 20th, February 26, killing six and injuring 1,000, and practically shutting down New York City. The World Trade complex was immense. It covered 16 acres of lower Manhattan. And the Twin Towers, if people ever saw them, the site was unforgettable. They went a half mile into the sky. Um, the damage under the hotel was two-thirds the size of a football field and took out six floors underneath it, um, including the path train station. And it, the damage went below the level of the Hudson River. It was tremendous. So the Port Authority owners immediately thought the bomb was so perfectly placed that it had to be an inside job. And this was confirmed by an extraordinary New York Times graphic on the 28th of February, showing that the damage the bomb caused was not circular, as you'd expect, but was an oblong shape with the two ends hitting a corner of each tower, showing that the planners had to have had some access to a blueprint of the trade Center. The big question was, what country had the ability to pull off such a sophisticated operation? Now, no,
0: Karen, so, let me just a- ask you: Why did the oblong shape uh, show that they had access to the blueprints?
1: Because the trade center was so massive that um, it was it, the 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 thing. The explosion went off in the parking garage, and it was an absolute. As you know, the absolute maze and the, the, the angle of this was extraordinary um, because of the, uh, of the very strange, well, uh, when you see a map and, and the, the scope and size of this, it was extraordinary that the two ends were exactly on the two corners of the two different towers. Mm-hmm. It, it's so striking that I think this is why the New York mm-hmm. Times pulled it from the archives, along with with other special material. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, I, I was frankly stunned. I was trying to get a a, a fresh copy from my um, from my old original, yellowed piece of paper, and mm-hmm. I, I was um, incredulous that it was it no longer existed.
0: So does the oblong shape imply a particular kind of sophisticated bomb that would produce that, or is it more a question of where the bomb was placed?
1: Well, it was where the bomb was placed. It was placed along a wall that apparently gave it um, a particular power. But it was pla- it was quickly found that it was placed on a on an up ramp going to the second floor. So it was placed uh, at a spot where there was no parking allowed. It was it was. Uh, an extraordinary placement. When Ramsey Yosef, the bomb maker, was, was interviewed, he was by FBI agents, when he was captured, he was captured in Pakistan. He was actually bragging about that placement. Um, it, it was just an extraordinary place to to um, put the bomb. But it showed that, that however he got the blueprint and it might've been from a port authority report um, that had been made at one point, foreseeing what the possible sources of damage might be. Um, so, directly or indirectly, he had inside knowledge to be able to to plant the the bomb in that spot.
0: Mm-hmm. And of course, it's 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 been alleged that. This bomb came fairly close to actually causing one or both towers to topple, which would have caused unimaginable death and destruction vastly greater than 9-11. And, of course, that possibility was what led Ash Carter, John Deutsch, and Philip Zellico, the essentially a sole author or novelist of the 9-11 Commission Report, to publish that article in 1998 in Foreign Affairs magazine speculating on the likely political, psychological, and social consequences of a massive Pearl Harbor-style event, such as the destruction of the World Trade Center. So those guys, including Zelico, apparently knew the Trade Center was doomed to destruction, and uh, speculation about the possible complete destruction of the Trade Center in the 93 bombing had fueled that. So do you, do you have any sense of sort of how close it came to that kind of scenario?
1: Well, I think that was very optimistic. It really didn't come at all close the the
0: um optimistic it, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 optimistic from from the point of the terrorists um uh, it shocked what they call shocked the the steel beams but they were never in any danger of coming down that mm. building was so overbuilt over engineered mm. to withstand mm. as you know the uh, fully loaded fully fueled um you know major transport plane going into it that um, I think it, it it then damaged the concrete. It maybe jolted the beams, but it did not damage them seriously. Interestingly, after the world after this bombing, the New York Times actually had a had a an article asking what would bring down the towers, mm-hmm. which I thought extraordinary. And and of course there was um, a lot of some of the propaganda pieces had material about how this was how the towers were going to be coming down in the future but um but no there was no there was never any danger ramsey yosef made a comment that if he had more money he could have done more and that there might have been some kind of of um other chemicals he might have added but he, he seemed to be quite a crazy um and unfortunately Ramsey Yosef kind of changed the whole group. Of all the, uh, I don't know how many, maybe dozen or so people who ended up being defendants in this, he was the only one that had a clue what was going on, uh, certainly at the World Trade Center bombing. Nobody else had any, any inkling of, of what was happening.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 who who was the police informant who later blew the whistle about having discussed the bomb with the FBI and the the earlier plan to plant a dud bomb and so on uh, that was the the FBI informant who later blew the whistle on that
1: oh oh you're talking about Ahmad Salem Salem um, yeah 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 um well i would love to to talk a little bit about um what w- this what happened with the with the story of that first bomb. Though, the, there were several World Trade trials. The first trial was for the World Trade Center in particular. The, the actual conspiracy charge was weapons, transporting weapons across state lines. Um, again, in that first trial, most of the, uh, almost all of the dupes except for one was, was of Palestinian descent. And that was very... I think that was hugely significant. The yeah,
0: tell, that tells you who's behind who, it. Just just like with Sirhan, Sirhan being the patsy for RFK, yeah. it sort of tells you who, who's behind it.
1: Well, the New York Times made a very big deal of it. I mean, one was Jordanian, one was Kuwaiti, and so on and so forth. But they were all of Palestinian descent, except for the Kabi, and um, uh, you know, it, it, it was it, it was interesting. Um, the New York Times really is guilty of what happened to those men. Its coverage was very biased, very inflammatory. Um, What was was interesting in it, if if I can go a little bit more into that first case, the, the damage was so massive in the trade center that police estimated it would take six months to gather clues from the black abyss. It took a month to find the last body. The body of the vista hotel employee who had been working on the floor above the bomb was found under the seven floors of rubble a month later so um, what was incredible it, it was so uh ridiculous that weekend after the bombing an atf agent entered the edge of the abyss with a flashlight and came out with a load of vehicle parts that he claimed must have come from the bomb-laden van. An FBI agent immediately worked to decipher a vehicle identification number and quickly identified it as coming from a rider van. Of course, the rider van had been rented by a Mohammed Salami. So poor Mohammed Salami, he had, rent, he had paid 400 to rent a rider van to help move workmates. And these were almost certainly accomplices, these these government accomplices, who were soon to leave the New York area. That Thursday evening, he used it to bring friends shopping at a local mall. When they came out with the groceries, the van had disappeared. Salami was horrified. He called the police to report the van missing. And Officer Badiak responded, but was unable to put out an an immediate warrant for the van because it had an out-of-state license. And there seemed to have been a mistake in Ryder's handwritten license number that they gave to Salama. Badiak didn't bother to trace the number down that evening, which he actually could have taken the time. But he made out the report and brought Salama home to 24 Kensington, where he lived with an Israeli woman called Josie Hadass, or Josie Hadass. She spelled her name differently every time she wrote it. Um, when... when the government had to admit her her name because her name was on the rental, was on the bridal rental papers.
0: Wow, rented by an Israeli. Who would have yeah. thought?
1: <laughs> well, the the thing is, poor Mohammed, he came from a very poor Jordanian family. And when he, they first put the phone in his name, in his apartment, he quickly racked up $500 worth of bills, I guess. So after that, they decided they better, they better put it in the name of the person in charge, who is this Josie Hadass?
0: Hmm. So Mossad case well, officer, perhaps.
1: Well, exactly. And when the International Herald Tribune, there were there were several, there were different accusations that she was a Mossad agent. It, it looks pretty obvious. But when the FBI was confronted with it directly at one point, they they just well, we're not going to tell you. They refused to say anything. They clamped down. So poor Muhammad spent days on buses, trying to get his 400 deposit back. He had the rider van in his name and his phone number. Everything was up front. And the shop kept giving him a runaround. Of course, on the fourth attempt, Wednesday, March 5th, uh, he was told he could pick up his refund. He was met with a small army of media and police who arrested him as a suspect in World Trade bombing. It turns out, parenthetically, In the trial, one of the defense lawyers found the rider's shop showed the van had actually been returned. So whatever exploded was not this van anyway, but you had to dig into the weeds to find that. Salami's court-appointed lawyer had a very hard time trying to explain to Salami, who was a recent immigrant who had trouble speaking English, why he had been arrested. Salami couldn't believe it. He was in Even the anchor on the TV station at when this just happened, I happened to be watching it, said he looked like a a stooge. And the guy was so clueless and so dumbfounded. Um, So Salame had faith in American justice. He wanted a fast trial so he could get on with his life, which was stocking grocery shelves. New York Times reporter Chris Hedges contacted Salamid's parents. He had recently called them, and they expected another call soon to to announce his coming marriage. Um, So the New York Times, which produced the most extensive coverage of the story, was fast off the mark, claiming that Mohammed Salami, with probable terrorist connections, was an Islamic fundamentalist, which keyed into this new congressional label of who the coming what the new official enemy would be. I think I failed to mention in mm-hmm. 1991, there was a congressional uh, document that was circulating that named Islamic fundamentalism as the new official enemy.
0: Mm-hmm. And of course, that had been all decided decision. back in 1979 at the JCIT, the Jerusalem conference on international terrorism called by Netanyahu. Uh, they summoned Bush and a bunch of other high level Americans uh, to uh, Jerusalem for that conference, which basically sk- sketched out what was going to happen in terms of making terrorism and obviously the enemies of Israel the uh, next international enemy.
1: Well, that I have the book actually that Netanyahu know, came out with mm-hmm. on that. So George yeah. H. W. Bush was one of the last speakers who spoke about international terrorism, and the the um, the conference ended up with calls, basically. For call, for making Palestinian, legal Palestinian resistance a terror, an international terrorism crime, it, it pretended that everybody was suffering from terrorism, and of course, as they defined it, Israel was the only country that was mm-hmm. had, had indigenous people that were being ethnically cleansed that uh, were trying to were trying to regain their freedom totally legally. So this conference <laughs> with very specific in um, talk, <coughs> talking Arab terrorists <coughs> and support of the USSR. And it, it actually went into demanding sanctions against, against the USSR for its support of Arab terrorism.
0: Yeah, a little Cold War yeah. angle there.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, so several other Muslim immigrants would join Salam as defendants Um, Egyptian Kabi Mahmoud Abu Halima with the Siyanah family. I I think I'm going into some of the families here, maybe I'll skip it. But the saddest part of this whole thing, really the most disturbing part, was the betrayal of Muslims. These people all came, with the exception of Ramzi Yosef, who, who was brought in intentionally for this plot. He was apparently, according to one author, the CIA had picked him out and trained him from his, from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And he had been apparently working with the CIA. It appears. Mm -hmm. And he was um,
0: like Ali Muhammad, right. Ali Muhammad's the guy that they blame blame for the uh, African embassy uh, bombings and so on.
1: Well, they were very different. Um, But but yeah, yeah, there's real stories behind both of them as characters. Um, But, but these people that were pulled in, Egyptian cabbie had brought his family in, they were permanent residents. Nadal Ayyad, uh recently gotten married, his wife was already expecting, he loved the US. He bored everybody by telling everybody how grateful he was to be in the US and how much he loved the country. Um, Ahmad Ajaj had been a Palestinian, obviously from a well-to-do family, who had been tortured in Israel and was illegally uh, illegally deported, he wanted to make a permanent life in the, the US. And all these people came with the highest intentions of contributing to the US, bringing up their families there. They were so, I, I think they were enamored of the fact that, of the constitutional freedoms and, and they, they absolutely loved the country. What was very disturbing to me was the book that Muhammad Salaam, his court-appointed court writer, um, sorry, lawyer wrote. He wrote a book called Defending Mohammed," And he writes about the details of that trial. And it's very disturbing parts of it. Very, very disturbing. Um, he went along with a judge when he should have called it end to the trial. The judge was clearly supporting the government and he was threatening to uh, drive this defense group out of business and very, very biased um, decisions. William Kunstler tried to clue mm-hmm. them in to how they should be representing their clients with more integrity. And it, it was the, the the lawyers. It was... Christian lawyers against Muslim lawyers and Muslim defendants. It was very racist. And it turns out, when you read the book, he was Islamophobic. He still didn't get it. He still thought these guys were terrorists. And, And yet, the end of this trial was so shocking. There was no evidence. None of the guys had ever been in the World Trade Center. They all had alibis. They didn't know how to make bombs. They had no motive. They loved the U.S., and, and the lawyers kind of looked at themselves and they thought, well, there's no point bringing in expert witnesses like they have nothing against these guys. How can they be found guilty? So the, the prosecution comes in with with mountains of phone call evidence. The guys had phone called each other <laughs> and rubbish like that. They all ended up with convictions. It, it was heartbreakingly staggering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, what what do you think were the clearest indications that this thing was a, a setup? I mean, if you're going to do sort of a bullet points, like you know, with nine eleven, I would point to Building Seven as number one. So, what what's the biggest sort of uh, flashing red light here, telling you that this thing is is not what they said?
1: Well, first of all, there was no motive. Well, there was no motive. They had no ability. They had no motive, hmm.
0: and know, there's no evidence know. against them, so <laughs>
1: no, no evidence I mean, against them I mean honestly yeah. um I, in the second trial i I think the government saw the problem, so it quickly um enlisted this Egyptian creep, Ahmad Salem, to set everybody up quickly for a second event, and this is what happened he uh he after. Weeks, weeks of trying, he finally entrapped poor Sheikh Abdul Rahman, and uh, he entrapped. I actually, it's a common story. People in that position look for vulnerable people. They look for people who don't have work or or need money, or I don't know. Um, they they. Uh, they find ways of, of entrapping people. Interestingly, they did not entrap them with a common thing of people who had a criminal record or had some kind of a crime they could hold over someone. Um, it, it was just it was just um, sad. What was very disturbing was seeing, you know, the constitutional protections should have really come to their defense. And because the fix was in and the government had it in for these for these poor people as terrorists they basically trampled all their constitutional rights which basically is everybody's constitutional rights I meaning they they um, Rahman's sermons were used against him in his trial well you're supposed to be freedom of speech and religion um so, so much for the First Amendment. The Fourth Amendment, freedom for unwarr- unwarranted searches, was jettisoned by allowing all kinds of illegal search warrants. The Sixth Amendment right to counsel was abandoned in various trials, including raids on the Sheikh's legal staff, tape recordings of private meetings with lawyers, and ultimately the use of secret evidence, which encourages the uh, fabrication of evidence. And the, the most horrible one is, of course, the Eighth Amendment against cruel and unusual punishment. Um, all, everybody's rights were, were jettisoned because of the, of the, of the determination. Um, and, and they went through all kinds of appeals. Abu Halima's appeals went to the Supreme Court and the fix was in for, for everything so it it was um it was really depressing news for everybody not just for the muslims It's really it's mm. really damaged everybody's rights
0: mm-hmm. yeah and set and, the stage and, for and 9/11 I, it,
1: yeah.
0: yeah and yeah. after after 9/11 of course <laughs> the destruction of rights became totally official and and chiseled in stone
1: well well the, the other big the other big scandal was the fbi and it was really an exposé of how the ex the FBI was totally uninterested in truth or justice. It was an organization that was purely oriented toward guilty verdicts and mm-hmm. basically doing the government's bidding. And I think that was a shock to
0: people. Mm-hmm. And there, there's also the issue of the FBI corruption in that it it seems there was a strong Israeli connection to this as to all of these other you know, Islamic terror events. And it seems that the FBI has, through its connections with organized crime, which, you know, go back to J. Edgar Hoover being completely controlled by Meyer Lansky uh, throughout much of Hoover's career, that these Israeli-oriented organized crime ends up dominating the FBI, setting the policy, and in this case, probably, you know, creating this whole bombing uh, and using the FBI to do it and to railroad the patsies.
1: Yeah, well, the the FBI was was um, was absolutely shameless in this. It was um, one the particularly shocking thing was there was apparently a department of the FBI or a specific group in the FBI that were determined to see El Sayyid Nasser no. be retried for the death of terror terrorist rab, um, Rabbi Meir Kahane. They were, there was fury that William Quinstler had gotten him acquitted in 1991 from the charge of his murder. Um, apparently, Quintzler had assumed that maybe Nosser had killed no, had killed Kahani, but Nosser was so in, uh, insistent on his innocence that he said he would not allow Quintzler to even represent him unless he went for it, an innocent verdict. He just wouldn't even allow to be tried to be assumed guilty. And there was an apparently a part of the FBI that was dedicated to getting Nocer retried. And of course, they accomplished that in the big seditious conspiracy trial, the, the called World Trade, World Trade Two, um, by, by throwing dumping it into the charges against the poor sheikh. But but they got him on a RICO charge. I should say they got and they charged him under a mm-hmm. federal rico offense to to for the retrial and um and that affected constitutional rights because he anyway he was, it was it was basically a um, anyway I don't want to go into the into the mm-hmm. details on that but what was shocking was the the insistence of the fbi of, of supporting israeli interests absolutely
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and again that and goes back to meyer kind of lansky way. controlling hoover and that's they still apparently have that control at the yeah. top level of the fbi yeah so uh we're getting kind of towards the end of the preordained uh what a short short uh time limit we have today so uh do you you have uh kind of some final thoughts here to share with where people can go to find more and uh, any any summaries you might have
1: oh well um i would say people should um i don't i don't know where to start frankly um, it's hard to find books on 911 right now because they all assume guilt the ones that i've seen except for the ones for the one that you mentioned that you had written kevin which, uh, you mean which, yeah but books on um, the
0: 1993 bomb yeah
1: On the 1993 bombing. That's right. Yeah, and I I just have
0: one chapter, just one very brief chapter on the precursors to 9-11 and then the post-9-11 false flags that were designed to keep the pot boiling. And in that chapter, I have a very short summary of the evidence that the 1993 bombing was a false flag.
1: I I think one one of the things that is ignored, really, is the E.P. Heidner article. I, I think the bottom line in this whole thing has to be the impact on the Muslim community, which has been so unfair. I mean, everybody's lost constitutional rights over this, but the really awful, awful part of it is um, Islamophobia and the way terrorism has been often defined, almost requiring some kind of Muslim name associated with it. And and in Canada, this has really ended up in in, uh, in the death of Many innocent Muslims, and it breaks my heart when I think of the, the poor innocent people that were um, sentenced to life in this particular case that are are um, are still serving their terms. I think still, the word yeah. has to get out.
0: Innocent people still languishing in prison, along with with so many others, uh, including Zokar Tanev, the patsy for the Boston bombing, whose backpack didn't have the bomb the Kraft international backpacks had the bomb as the photo evidence that the government pointed yeah. us to shows so clearly there's and there's so so many other cases uh, but we could be here all day talking about them uh, i th- hope people read your article you have a new article coming out about yeah. the 1993 bombing and uh, i we will send people to that when uh, you publish it and it should be coming up pretty soon right about when this okay. gets posted all right. Well, thank yes. you, Karen Brothers. Okay. God bless you. Keep up the great work.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yep. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.